0: This episode is sponsored by Kindred Bravely. Kindred Bravely came to life in 2015 by Deanne Akerson, a mom of two, when she couldn't find any comfortable and functional pajamas while nursing her second son. So she decided to design her own line. As moms, we have to stick together, which is where Kindred comes from. And Bravely, while we all know being a mom can be tough, it is not for the faint of heart. It takes courage and bravery to be a mom. And at Kindred Bravely, they are devoted to making life easier for pregnant and nursing moms from breast pads and non-skid socks to nursing bras and pajamas. And I might not be pregnant or nursing, but I can advocate completely for how comfortable their clothing is. I wear the uh, cardigan almost every single day, certainly around the house. And I gifted my sister some leggings. Um, She is pregnant with her third child and she is absolutely over the moon for them. She wants me to get her some more. So you can get your own and save while you do by using my code unstressed. 20 to save 20% off your purchase at kindredbravely.com. You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad that you're here as always, and if this is the first time that you've ever tuned in, welcome. I'm so glad that you found the show. And I'm honored to share this conversation with you. I'm speaking with the mother of Marc-Andre Leclerc. You might remember him from the 2021 Netflix documentary, The Alpinist, um, which followed his incredible career and tragic death and something that I got from the documentary besides everything that he had accomplished, which was truly amazing and incredible. But really what I was focusing on was his mother, Michelle Um, Her name is Michelle Kuypers. Just her energy and the way that she spoke, um, I knew that I wanted to speak to her. I knew that I wanted to glean more of her life experience out and share it with you because I knew that it was valuable. There was something about her. I can't really put my finger on it, but I just knew. And in this conversation, everything that I thought came true. Um, She really shares so much on how to raise empowered and purposeful and victimless adults, which... Um, I think was just incredible. It was an incredible gift for her to share it with us. Um, so I'm so excited for you to hear it. Um, if you love that documentary, if you haven't even seen it yet, I highly recommend checking it out because you'll probably see what I saw as well when it comes to Marc-Andre and his mother. There's something special, undefinable about them both. Um, and through this conversation, um, I feel like a lot of what is essential to both of them comes through. So please enjoy this conversation with Michelle Kuypers. Well hello Michelle. Welcome to the show. I am honored that you're here. Thanks, Liz. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so just to give our audience a little bit of background about you, I always like to start with an origin story. Can you take us through your origin story and what life was like in those early years, you know, as a young mom. Um well, I certainly didn't come into
1: motherhood with everything in place like we would like it to be. Marc-André was my second child. My first child, Anne, was born when I was 22. And at the time I was living in Montreal uh, with my then partner. And we were young and um, we were just kind of building a life together. We thought we were on track, but we certainly hit some bumps in the road shortly before she was born. Um, we were in a pretty serious car accident. And our business was like wrapped up in that vehicle because he was a traveling sort of electrician to, um, uh, he handled signage. <laughs> i not trying kind to of struggling for like, what did he do exactly? <laughs> but in that, in that, that two weeks before she was born, we essentially lost our business, lost our vehicle. And I was not, uh, particularly well following that accident and so we came home from the hospital. I had to go back to the hospital for a week because I was quite sick. So we basically had a new baby and no income and I was ill and we were in Montreal. So I was on the other side of the country from my family. So the fallout from that was uh, we eventually, like we ended up having to go to the food bank for formula. Uh, we got evicted from our apartment, had to find another place. So it had to start from scratch in a really difficult situation. And when uh, my daughter was two, that's when we moved over to BC for a fresh start. And Marc-André was born shortly after we moved to BC and uh, we were basically in this small apartment with a few sticks of furniture and my husband's work that he had got uh, in BC, he lost his job the same week Marc Andre was born and that they ran out of work and just said, we don't have any more work for you. Mm-hmm. So there we were with a two-year-old and a newborn uh, in a new community without any base of family and friends and he unemployed. And so he picked up, he found some work in Vancouver, and I'm not sure you know the geography of the area. We're in Vancouver Island and he found some work in Vancouver on short notice, which meant he had to take a ferry and go to a different city and leave me um, alone in the apartment with this two-year-old and this newborn baby, and I was sick. I, <laughs> I, oh, I had a sinus infection, which I'd never had before in my life, and uh, figured out really quickly what a sinus infection is. So, you know, I know the, the, uh, the, the title of your podcast is Motherhood and Stress, but I have to say, like, my introduction to parenthood was actually quite traumatic, and it was something that, you know, I had to come back from as a parent and, and you know, not have that take away
0: from my capacity to love and raise my children. What, what did you do in those early days? Because I feel like so many mothers tuning into this know exactly, not your exact story, but know the struggle, know this, the fear, that all new mothers feel, you know, am I doing enough? Am I being enough? Am I doing a good enough job? Like we've all felt that. And it's deeply scary. What did you do to climb out of that to to get to where you are now? Even, you know, when, when Mark Andre and your daughter were older, what did you do to heal yourself?
1: Well, I think healing is a lifelong process, you know, from the traumas that we experience. And I think one of the central truths to motherhood is, you know, we, we live in this world where we have this, expectation of what it's going to look like. We have these books and now we have like social media which adds even more layers to it that essentially says this is what it should look like, this is how it should unfold. These are all the things that you should be doing for your children and, and so we have these expectations and then we have children and then we have to raise them in real time as life throws whatever it will throw at us that we could not necessarily expect or plan for. And so now you have to reconcile that with your internal expectations, the external societal expectations, and you have to find a place where it works for you and it's going to work for your children, because there's things that you can control and change and things that you can't. So for me, it was very much about keeping, uh, taking sort of this two-pronged approach. One is keeping uh, my eye on what was to me like the, you know, the big picture things in life. Like what do we really want? parenting what do we really want for our children in their future and you know right now I might not be in a position to give them you know the latest and best you know toys and or equipment that everyone says that you should have you know the $500 car seat or whatever it is you know we might just be making do with what we can what we can um, provide at the moment but really when you look at it in the great big grand scheme of things you know, you recognize a lot of those things are really unimportant. Like, did your child get dance lessons at three? No, not a really a big deal. Like, it is it is something that you know that your, your children can reach adulthood and reach that place of self-actualization without necessarily having all of those things. So, you know, it's important to kind of pull back from that and not allow that to stress you. And then to think, okay, what can I do in the moment? What can I do now? Um, you know, what can we do in our life to you know, to actually be able to enjoy and embrace this day because, you know, at the end of the day, we don't get that day back. So you can't get lost in the things that you can't do or the things that you can't control. And it was important for me to stay within the things that I could. So we can play hide-and-seek in the dark. That doesn't cost anything. You know, there's... um, We can bake together. We can go for a walk. Uh, You know, we we can invest in ways that we ultimately end up not just doing the things for our children that helps them be happy and functional young people, you know, who are able to grow up and become um, the people that they should be, but we also get something out of it, you know, like that piece of where you can't overthink the things that you can't control.
0: Yeah, I mean, did you grow up in a household that that Foster that kind of thinking because I feel like unless you really step back and do the internal work, most people are just on auto drive. You know, they're just plowing through. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're, you know, they're taking all these external cues and thinking, okay, this is my path. This is my story. This is what I need to do. Like, how did you? How do? How are you able to see that so differently and be okay with it and not feel that that pressure that we all put on ourselves? I I think um, partly it was
1: because I was. A child who had a lot of opportunity for self-reflection and time to think. I was an only child, which, you know, was in many ways really disappointing to me. I always wanted siblings. Um, but outside of that, I had a lot of freedom. So we lived in a—I was originally from England, we moved to South Africa, we moved back to England, then we moved to Canada. And then once we were in Canada, uh, when I was in about grade two, we picked up and moved to this small northern community in northern British Columbia. And this was one of those communities, like the 1970s, you know, March of Progress, where the forest industry had moved in and they built a big dam. And so it was all young families that moved up there, had been enticed up there by the local mills to come and settle in this community. And, you know, basically it was like in many ways a feral child. Like we had total freedom. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were outside, you know, summer, winter, uh, day and night. And... My parents, uh, like really, they had like fairly high expectations in terms of like general behavior. They were British, so you know you didn't disrespect them, and uh, you respected them. But aside from that, I had a lot of intellectual freedom and a lot of physical freedom. So I could read whatever I wanted. I spent plenty of time in the library, and with my nose in books, I could choose how to spend my time the way I wanted to. So if I wanted to spend the whole afternoon drawing pictures or working on some other project, I could do that, or I had the physical freedom to go outside. So that lent, um, for me, a lot of opportunity just to think, just to have that capacity to determine like, what do I believe in life? And, And I think there's an element of that balance, you know, that we need to search for between busyness and downtime, because that downtime is what allows you to really process. And without that ability to process, you know, you're not able to formulate those philosophies that you want to live by. You're not able to take the time to observe, uh, you know, what works and what doesn't work or what you want or what you don't want in your own life. And I think that's a challenge that people face today, particularly with the distractions of social media, is that, and I've read some books on this too, that the, you know, we're, we're so distracted and we spend so much time either you know, we're busy with work or we're like busy with our devices, that we never get to that deeper level of thought. We never get to that place where we can really process our thoughts and emotions on a deeper level. And if you've ever been for a long hike or something like that, which is something I love to do, but you know when you're a couple of hours in, you realize you're not even noticing time pass anymore and your thoughts are in this sort of deeper place and you're really able to start mm-hmm. to pick apart you know, what's important to you, what isn't important to you. And that is also something that, that Marc-Andre stressed in some of his writings when he was on his you know big adventures and expeditions out in the mountains and had been alone for a significant amount of time. So that's a you know a really long and wordy way of saying that I think that's something that I was given as a child and that opportunity to have that headspace and that downtime and that freedom. And that was something that, you know, I brought into my parenting. It was important for my children to have that, was to have those yeah. that freedom as well, that autonomy. And that was something that Marc-Andre really internalized in his own life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I found out about you and your work and, and Marc-Andre's through the Netflix film, The Alpinist. And I remember this this line you said in it that, you know, though we didn't have a lot, I always was able to provide books for him. You know, he always had books and he was a voracious reader. I think that that's so special and, and something that really stuck with me as a mother. You know, I, I I took your words and I was like, OK, I will always, you know, always have that for my kids. Um, so thank you for that. But um, when did you start to notice that Mark andre was more introspective, was a little bit less fearless than the other kids his age when did you start to notice that this was different this is a different boy well i think i noticed
1: when he came into this world frankly like he was born with his eyes wide open and and just wouldn't settle you know he was the one mm-hmm. that finally i gave him to the nurse and said i'm just really tired could you take him for a little bit <laughs> and he ended up under the heat lamp because he just like wrestled his way out of the coverings and so he had this intensity right from birth and you know he certainly wasn't an easy newborn like he was uh, intense and easily bored and, and he didn't settle easily and I was frankly desperate for him to crawl because I thought once this child could crawl yeah then he can satisfy his desire to explore and then I can relax a little bit and so you know I remember laying with him on the floor and I was like okay this hand and then this foot and this hand and this foot you know you know this is how you can do it because he just desperately wanted to explore it he would get up on his hands and knees and he would like rock for half a second and then he would mm-hmm. just like starfish on the floor and wail because he couldn't <laughs> move and then as soon as he could move you know he just headed straight for any opening so you know if there was like a little crack at the gate he was down the stairs and when he was about seven and a half months old I remember just kind of looking like, you know, your baby kind of crawls around your legs. And I looked down, I'm like, wait a minute, where's the baby? And then I just noticed that our patio door was open a crack. And sure enough, I looked, and he had crab crawled halfway down the back patio stairs. And these are stairs that had no riser. So they were just open to the basement steps below. And I'm usually a pretty calm person. Like, I'm like, oh, you're bleeding. That's okay, we'll deal with it, you know. But that was one moment where I was literally kind of frozen. And I was just like, oh my gosh, the baby. And my, my husband had to sort of move me out of the way and go down and, and get him. So he, you know, he had this intensity and this drive from uh, a very, very young age. And, you know, that was a difficult thing to navigate as a parent as well because his elder sister, although she was extremely active and bright child, Um, those were things that I did not have to navigate with her. So, you know, my first couple of years of parenting, I sort of patted myself on the back, like I'm doing a great job. She's, you know, she's a a calm and reasonable child. And then I had this, this, uh, the second child who was just you know, intense, and he often seemed quite angry. Actually, like he he had very little tolerance for frustration, and um, it really took some time to to kind of navigate that and say how do I help help him come to a place where he is is able to you know engage with life in a, in a manner that he will be less frustrated and that that he will be because you know frankly like if a child is you know is um, wound up and frustrated and and intense and engaged and upset all the time you you can't they're not enjoying their life they're not having they're not calm enough to to process things and to engage and, and to participate so that was something we had to kind of navigate through when he was around two and I think that's something that actually kind of stayed with him for his life you know when he was not quite two years old I noticed that if he was going to throw himself on the floor in frustration that if it was a carpeted floor he, he would just fling himself down if it was the lino he would sort of get down carefully and then yell and I was like wait a minute there's an element of control here so he was quite a bright kid and I said every time that you throw yourself screaming on the floor you're sort of going to have to go to your room until you calm down then when you've calmed down we'll come out and we'll carry on and you know he, he learned really quickly to start to exercise that a um, level of self-control. And he started to say, you know, I'm feeling frustrated about that or I'm mad about that instead of just throwing himself on the floor. And so that was a really good starting point to say, okay, now we can really engage, you know, in a relationship. I can take you out into the world. I can read you books. We can play games. There's all these things that we can do because at least, you know, he had come to a place of being able to kind of control and channel that energy and you know of course that's something that developed throughout his entire life but by the time he you know was at where he was in his profession in alpinism that was a huge part of who he was was that capacity like he said in the film to keep it together and carry on no matter how crazy the situation is and I think that's such an important thing that we need to give our children is the you know, that capacity to exercise and internalize resiliency and self-control and self-soothing techniques so that they are not overwhelmed by life and so that they can channel their energy in a positive
0: way to, you know, to get positive outcomes for themselves. I think what you just said is so, so important, especially now at this time in history. Could you you give our listener... One key thing that they could do to start expanding their own children's um, ability to process these heavier emotions in real time. Well, that's that's a really loaded and layered thing. I mean,
1: I think everyone's situation is different too. I think for some parents, you know, their situation is maybe, um, you know, not quite as difficult as others. You know, so you have parents who, perhaps, they're also dealing with severe financial stresses. their Their job dried up during COVID. And so they're trying to support and help their children, but there's very real financial stressors going on in their own life. There's parents dealing with, um, you know, relationship issues. You know, the pressures of COVID has intensified existing relationship issues. And so, again, they want to support their children, but they also have this really difficult dynamic in the relationship that they're in. You know, and then there's, of course, parents who have children who are... Are less resilient, or they might be somewhere in the spectrum, or you know, there's there's other things that make that child um, definitely more impacted by what's going on. Um, there's children who've lost more than other children. So children who are involved in like team sports and activities that where they were always together with their peers saw those activities dry up and go away. Whereas maybe you know, if your child was sort of a reader or someone who liked arts and crafts. Or, you know more solitary type pursuits it was less impactful for them so I think first you know we need to analyze like you know just because the messaging out there is like this was awful for everyone it's like we need to ask ourselves so was it really awful for me was it really awful for my children mm. and if it really wasn't that bad then one we don't want to communicate to them that oh wow you've just been a terrible two years like if it really wasn't that bad you know we don't yeah. want to generate anxiety you know or a sense of having been robbed of the joy of life if that really didn't happen now if that is happening then i think for sure it needs to be acknowledged but there's also that element of there's things that we can control in life and there's things that we can't and we spend a lot of time you know complaining um, and focusing on things that we can't control and communicating that to our children you know we can create this sort of sense of dissatisfaction and this inability to focus on the things that we can control and the things that we can do and I think like I fortunately so fortunate did not have to go through a situation like that with my kids in my life you know this being the only pandemic since the Spanish flu thank goodness but you know I, I think of all the times in our life where we had a lot of other things that were going on that we couldn't control like very very real stressors and my focus was to what can we do right now right if you can't do this then what else can you do you can You can go outside. You can take a nature walk. You can get some books and say, we're going to, with some. like, I'll give you an example. You know, we would get books from the library, for instance, on um, trees, different types of trees and plants. And then we would go for a walk and we would try to notice those and we'd pick a few and then we'd come back and turn that into, like, nature art or something like that. And that could take up a good chunk of a day just doing that. Um, You know, so I think there's that, element of focusing on the things that you can control and I think of one particularly stressful time in our life when my ex-husband was not working and there was so many stressors like are we going to be able to pay the rent this month and things that could really um, take away from your ability to to be there to support your children and I said you know what $25 this way or that way isn't going to make any big difference to our current situation so we're going to do something every week that's fun. Like, it won't be, you know, a great big expensive trip to Disneyland because that's outside of the cards, of course. But, you know, we're going to be intentional about going somewhere and doing something fun once a week.
0: Mm. And
1: that is going to be our decompression for the week. We all need to decompress, right? And if we don't build that decompression into our our days and our weeks and our months, then it's just going to continue to build and continue to build. Right, and my personal approach to something like, if it was the pandemic, would be, you know, of course, um, you know, for children having to wear masks in school or not see their friends would be to be super compassionate. Yeah, this is really, really hard. I hear you, it's really hard. You know, what are the things that we can do right now? What are the things that, you know, we can focus on? Perhaps things, new discoveries. You know, we're being forced to do something different than what we're used to. Maybe that's not a bad thing. And so trying to sort of change the narrative a little bit and then build some resiliency, right? Because, you know, if it's not the pandemic, it could be something else five years down the road. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be something else that's like bigger and more outside of our control again. And, you know, if if we get focused on things that we can't control and we communicate that anxiety to our children, you know, they're going to feel like they just... um, that they don't have the capacity to navigate their way through these situations, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, again, a very long answer to what was a short question, but I think it is complex and nuanced. But we really want to bring to it, I think, our our daily life as a parent or as a mother, things that we we can do and then have fun doing it. Like I said, it doesn't cost anything to play hide-and-seek in the dark. And that is so much fun. Um, One of our kids' favorite memories, and this one always really surprised me, was when we did s'mores in the fireplace while watching Meet the Robinsons. You know, and they bring that up every so often. (laughs) But again, these are things that, you know, doesn't really rely on everything outside of our immediate home and family life being in
0: order for us to do that. This just requires being creative. I love that. And then just hearing you break down the question and add in so many insightful points, it just shows like, A, what a strong person you are and B, like how, like what a great critical thinker you are. Because I feel like for most people, it's like, you don't take that extra time to really think about the problem on a wider scale. You know, it's like, oh, this is horrible. I hate it. You know, this sucks. But instead, like you take it to another level. And I think For me personally, for every woman listening, every man listening, that's so inspirational. And that's something we can all take with us to be like, okay, wait a second. You know, I do not like my circumstances, my emotions, my internal world isn't defined by what's going on outside of me. It's really how I control, you know, the storm within and how I want to proceed with life. And for your children, I think that's the best gift that you could ever give them. I mean, it's direct modeling of a certain way of being that is strong, that is resilient, that is, you know, I am in control of what I can control and I'm gonna make the best of it, you know, in this life. I think that that's beautiful. You
1: know, um, I just saw something that came through my news
0: feed the other day and it was
1: this, I don't really watch a lot of TV or America's Got Talent or that kind of thing, but I do follow little things on social media and there was this young singer I believe her, she went by the name of Whitebird, And um, she was fighting terminal cancer when she went on to America's Got Talent. She sang this beautiful song of her own composition called It's Okay. It was just absolutely beautiful. But one of the things that she said that really caught me was, we can't wait until um, life stops being hard before we choose to be happy. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very sad story, like she, she passed away at 31 and it just, you know, brings all these existential questions of like, why is it sometimes the wisest and most capable people, you know, with most beautiful people, we seem to lose them at such a young age, like, you know, but setting aside those existential questions, like, there was such wisdom in that from someone who was truly living, you know, an a terrible reality, right, which is facing turmoil, cancer, at such a young age, but that decision, you know, her comment that, you know, we cannot wait until life is not no longer hard and before we choose to be happy, I mean, it's something we have to bring to our parenting every day, because every day parenting is hard, you know, there's always something, and again, like I said, we're parenting in real time, we're parenting while things outside of our control are coming at us, things that the parenting books don't, don't mention, right, things that... Um, the parenting blogs don't necessarily talk about on social media. But again, if we wait for everything to be, you know, for the hard things to pass before we choose to be happy, we'll probably never get there, right? So you can still find that happiness within the midst of all the difficulties. You can, you know, be on the floor laughing with your kids over some silly game that you're playing, even if you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, even if they have to wear masks at school, even if, you know, there's... Things happening in the news that kind of freak you out you can still have you know those moments of happiness and those are the things that build resiliency in your children they build memories in your family and those are the things that you're left with right ultimately at the end of the day right those are the things that you end up treasuring
0: yeah absolutely what memories really stand out for you, you know, about Marc-Andre? You know, things he said, things that maybe nobody knows about that you just always will hold with you.
1: Well, you know, it's really hard with a film that focuses on, you know, <clears throat> 90 minutes of someone's life and is focusing sort of primarily on, you know, his, um, his accomplishments as an alpinist. You know, of course, they can't show you the entire person and he was, he had like a, he was a highly intellectual person, um, very, very bright kid who gradu- graduated high school early at 16. Um, he was very funny, he had a great sense of humor. And some of the things I remember, um, great memories I have with Marc Andre would be the times that we just spent together talking. You know, he had such an active mind. And he just wanted to talk about all the things, all the time. And because we walked a lot of the time, that lent us a lot of time to talk. So we would just be walking and talking, and he would be pulling questions and ideas out of the air. And he always took quite a while to kind of work his way through to his own conclusions. And that's something I learned fairly early, was like, he was not a child that you would tell him what to believe. You didn't just say, this is how it is, because he was a thinker. And so, you know, he would ask questions, and he would ask more questions, and you would just continue to provide information. And, and the, the more you would try to, say, pressure him and say, this is what you should do or this is what you should believe, the more he would resist that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that was something that, as a parent, you know, I had to notice and respect, right? And I think that's, you know, the, one, those are beautiful memories, but it's also something that I really learned from, and that's something that I took into his later years you know as he was transitioning into his uh, teen years and his young adult years was that this is not an individual who you're just going to direct him what to do or what to think because he is going to come to his own conclusions he does need that space to figure things out for himself and and if you know if he had you know people say well you know how could you let your your child go out and do those things how could you let him go out and climb mountains and go out into the forest and whatnot at a young age and I said well I could have tried to stop him but that would have just forced him in another direction and it also would have been re- me not respecting who he really was and who he was becoming as a person mm-hmm. and just because he went out into the mountains at 14 and did these things on his own doesn't mean that that was automatically our family value, that any child in our house gets to go out in the mountains at 14. Like, it was, you know, if you show that you have the capability to do that and the maturity and the skill set, well, that's one thing, right? So, you know, in terms of all of these memories kind of tie into this, like, larger story of his life, um, yeah, I have memories of us sitting around the kitchen table and him telling stories and us just like laughing so hard, right? And I, or one memory I have, this is sort of a shared family memory, is we would always have dinner together and the kids were always like so keen to talk about whatever, whatever, was going on in their day, whatever thoughts they were having. And so there would be this constant chatter around the table and they would get impatient, waiting for the other one to finish <laughs> so they could say their piece. and. So I had this brilliant idea that I had seen somewhere. I'm like, we're g- going to have a talking stick, you know? So if you have <laughs> this talking stick, you wait, you say your piece, and then you pass it on to the next person. I'm like, this will help with the interrupting. And so they, I incorporated the talking stick, and it literally lasted like one dinner because instead of interrupting each other, <laughs> they just ended up wrestling each other for the talking stick. Instead, I, knew and so I was like, okay, it's less violent just to interrupt, <laughs> Instead of being on the floor, <laughs> trying to wrestle the talking stick out of your sibling's hand because you're so keen to talk. Mm. And you know Mark andres going to win. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, actually, until he was about 17, his sister could easily kick his butt. <laughs> so, oh, I love it. I love it. That's hilarious. Yeah, and she regularly reminds him of that, too. She's like, I could kick your ass until you were, like, 17 at least. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I mean, have you all of these memories and just like being a mother, like how has, how has being Marc Andre's mother changed how you live your life now or has it? Um, I think being like all of my children
1: have changed me significantly um, in different ways. You know, I I would say about my older daughters, I want to grow up to be like her one day. You know, Mm -hmm. she's just an incredible, incredible person with a massive heart for others. Um, and my youngest has completely challenged me in so many ways um, in terms of like, you know, how I view people with disabilities or how, you know, I understand the arts and that sort of thing. With, with Marc-André, um, you know, I, I recognized early on that just because we have the role of parent doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we are smarter, wiser, or more capable than our children. And, you know, when he he came to me at seven years old with a drawing, he'd actually woke me up from a nap. He's like, I drew you a picture. And I'm like, oh, that's odd. You're not really artsy. And I'm looking at it. So what is it? And he said, it's the ionic bonding of atoms. And I was like, oh, I think that's chemistry. You'll have to explain it to me someday. And so one of the things that I learned is that you know, um, through Marc Andre in particular, that it is okay for our children to, um, what's what I'm looking for? They, they kind of like exceed our abilities or our capacities. Like by the time he was um, 13 or 14 and he had really started to branch out and go into the mountains on these trips, I, I was really honest with him. I said, You're so far beyond my ability to mm-hmm. be a part of this. It's not like, you know, the the hockey mom or the dance mom where you're driving them everywhere and you're kind of controlling, controlling it, it's like it was completely outside of my scope to have any part mm-hmm. of it. And so his dad and I coached him and said, like, this is where you have to make those decisions for yourself. You have to not just follow people into dangerous situations if it doesn't feel right mm-hmm. to you. Um, you know, you have to follow your instincts and you have to understand your own skill set and take responsibility for yourself if you're going to go and do these things with people that we don't even know who they are. I can't tell you if that person that you met on that climbers forum is a safe person to climb with or not. That's a judgment you have to make for yourself. Uh, one of the things I, I learned from Marc-Andre as well is that you know relationship is everything. And you know we, if, if I had tried to um, hold on too tight, I would have just pushed him away. And so, when he went to Patagonia and he was going to be there over Christmas, I was like, that's fine. Like, if we see you in February, we see you in December, that's okay. we just be happy when we see you and want you to do what you want to do. And never sort of applied the, that pressure around, here's all these expectations that we have of you as a family. But really, the flip side of that was he wanted to be with us. So mm-hmm. the last Christmas he was, he was with us, he had actually changed all his plans so he could be home, so he could be with us. And I think, you know, I see other parents who put a lot of guilt on their kids. Oh, what do you mean Mm -hmm. you won't be here for this event or that event? What do you mean that you can't be here for Christmas, it won't be the same without you? And I think that's, you know, that's an unhealthy way to have a relationship with your child, especially as they move into adulthood. You know, um, you want that desire to be with you to come from a really genuine place. And that was something I really learned from Marc-Andre was like, you know, we give freedom and we receive love. Like it's, you know, that keeping the reins short and tight does not create a relationship.
0: No, absolutely not. Oh, I love that. Do you have any lasting words? I mean, that was beautiful right there. Do you have any lasting message that you want the listener to walk away with about Marc-Andre's life? about your relationship with him about anything that you feel called to share i mean i think you know speaking
1: to any mother out there i would say like it is a heavy heavy role in so many ways like the expectations of mothers are are so in many ways unreasonable you know people tend to question everything mothers do they don't question everything fathers do they don't question a father who goes to work and their child is being cared for by somebody else or in daycare. They don't say, how could you go to work and leave your child, (laughs) Fathers can do that. Um, You know, when, if a a child is facing challenges or struggles in life, uh, whatever that might look like, it tends to be the mother who's questioned, you know, not, again, the father who's questioned. You know, mothers, at the same time, are also trying to be self, self-actualized human beings in their own right. You know, they're, they, they want to have an identity beyond being someone's mother, you know, someone's wife, someone's daughter mm-hmm. as well. That's something what the whole feminist movement has, you know, worked really hard to, to promote that. So I think one of the first things I would say to mothers is like, you know, cut yourself some slack, right? It's like, you know, you will never meet everybody's expectations you could turn yourself inside out you know trying to do this and you will always be facing criticism from someone for not doing something right so you know I think it's important to step back from all those expectations and to cut yourself some slack and like this is something that I said on one of my recent Instagram posts too it's like you know I was really struggling with the people saying you're such an amazing parent you're such an amazing parent because all I could think about was all the things I regret, all the things mm-hmm. I didn't do, all the things that I would do differently. And, you know, that's, that was a heavy thing to, to wear, right? And so what, you know, my, my message was, is like, if you were that parent who left the sheets in the dryer for a week and your kids slept in the sleeping bag or you napped while they watched daytime TV... You know, or your four-year-old made chocolate pudding for lunch because you were too sick with your newborn to do it for them, then maybe you're an amazing parent. Like, being an amazing parent doesn't mean that you do it perfectly and right all the time. It just means you're doing your best. And at the end of the day, what you want to come away with is a relationship with your children.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and not having necessarily said that you've checked all these boxes according to what society or other people have determined that you should do. So, whether your child sleeps in a crib or sleeps next to you, whether you breastfeed them or bottle feed them, you know, whether they eat salad or, or not, like, it, th- those are things that, you know, we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves for, and a lot of people will come in and judge us, but I think that's, if any message I would say is, like, step back from all of that, just get to know who your children are, and have an authentic relationship with them. Be your authentic self you know, encourage them to become their authentic selves and just have that relationship
0: that you will always have those memories. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And, you know, what you said, freedom equals love. I think that that's so true. And, you know, you clearly have that with your children and Marc-Andre. For the listener, where can they find out more about you and watch the film?
1: Well, if you want to watch the film,
0: I know in the States it's on Netflix. And in Canada, it's on Prime Video. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your personal motherhood story. Um, You know, truly, it is an honor to have you here. So thank you. Thanks for your time too, Liz. It's nice to meet you. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around.